Greetings, you're listening to podcast number 150 of Blast the Right. I'm your host, Jack Clark. Great to have you on board. Today, a change of pace. Not one or two long segments, but several shorter ones. A smorgasbord of anti-right-wing delights to thrill your intellectual palate. Subjects include debunking right-wing war on terror talking points, dissecting conservative economic philosophy, answering the query, how many Americans support socialism over capitalism, following up on Dick Cheney's old company electrocuting U.S. soldiers in Iraq, and last but not least, exposing yet one more example of right-wing hypocrisy. Let's get right into it. Your sources for this first segment include MediaMatters.org, NationalJournal.com, the website archives of the George W. Bush White House, ScriptsNews.com, ThinkProgress.org, and the website of the Senate Armed Services Committee. One right-wing war on terror talking point making the rounds is inconsistent with undisputed facts. Another defies common sense. Facts? Common sense? Both in short supply in right-wing circles. The right's propaganda machine apparently found a May 2005 Justice Department memo which claims that waterboarding a terrorist saved Los Angeles from a terrible attack. Supposedly, waterboarding Khalid Sheikh Mohammed forced him to reveal a plot to destroy the library tower in Los Angeles. And the plot was then broken up. To give you an idea of the chorus of disinformation that somehow spontaneously springs up immediately after a right-wing talking point is created, or perhaps fabricated is a better word, listen to examples of this parade of untruth on Fox News. To start off, here's California Congressman Dana Rohrabacher with Fox's Neil Cavuto. We have a document right here, a story that came out yesterday about how this, this waterboarding of Sheikh, uh, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed actually gave us the information to thwart a, a terrorist plot that was underway that would have resulted in planes flying into buildings, 9-11 style, in Los Angeles. We saved thousands of lives. Fox News contributor and roll call editor Mort Kondraki. The interrogation, the waterboarding of uh, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed resulted in information which, which foiled an attack on a tower in, in Los Angeles, the second so-called second wave attack. You know that master propagandist Sean Hannity, and I actually mean that as a compliment. He's very good at what he does. You know Hannity would be in on this. The fact of the matter is waterboarding is torture. It is not simula- to it's not simulated drowning. According to me and lots of research and, and many experts on the topic, it doesn't simulate drowning. It is slow drowning um, that is controlled. It's not dr- it's, it's not it causes drowning. your bodily organs it to shut down, it's, Sean. Khalid, it's torture. Khalid Sheikh Mohammed gave up that there was a terror cell in this country, that the city of Los Angeles was about to be hit in a second wave attack. Old Bushians are part of the act, like former Bush speechwriter Mark Tyson. The interrogation of Salid Sheikh Mohammed led to the capture of a cell of Jamaa Islamiya terrorists who were planning to hijack a plane and fly it into the library tower in Los Angeles. And if it had not been for this program, there would be a hole in the ground in Los Angeles to match the one in New York City. Finally, what would a lie fest be without the architect? 
and now Fox News contributor Carl Rove. We specifically stopped the plot to run to, jam, to run jets into the Liberty Tower in Los Angeles That's because right. of the information that we got from this. And there's a lot of other things that were stopped because of this interrogation techniques and the information they yielded. The print media was on board as well. Maybe on board isn't a great metaphor to use here. Or actually, it's the perfect one to use. After hearing all that, guess what? A fact sheet released by the Bush administration itself states that, quote, in 2002, we broke up a plot by KSM to hijack an airplane and fly it into the tallest building on the West Coast. Close quote. KSM is Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. A press briefing by Bush's counterterrorism chief places the date more precisely as February 2002. So what? I'll tell you what. Khalid Sheikh Mohammed wasn't even captured until a year later. March 2003. Even Abu Zabaida, another prisoner we waterboarded, wasn't grabbed until after the plot was broken up in February 2002. Again, according to the Bush administration itself. So, the capture and waterboarding of both these two guys took place after the plot, according to the Bush administration, was already broken up. You may hear the right say, oh, there were other participants in that library tower conspiracy still running around when we tortured KSM. Irrelevant, since Bush's counterterrorism chief said that after the February 2002 busting up of the plot, the remaining members of the cell understood that the library tower attack would not go forward. The impossibility of waterboarding KSM stopping an already dead plot didn't prevent a Fox News reporter from still making the claim as late as last week. At least now, if you hear it, you can debunk it. The larger lesson, whenever you hear a right-winger claim anything, assume they're wrong, investigate, and your assumption will virtually always be validated. Okay, on to the second right-wing war on terror talking point. Listen to Fox News' Jim Angle. Most of these techniques had been used on tens of thousands of American military for training purposes, and that includes waterboarding, so officials knew exactly how they worked. And if the methods are torture, it means we've been torturing our own military for years with the approval of Congress. Yes, Jim, we were giving our personnel a taste of torture. Angle is referencing the Survival, Evasion, Resistance, and Escape Program, SEER, which took the torture techniques of the Russians, North Koreans, and others, and gave our soldiers a taste of them so they'd know what they'd be up against if captured. Check out podcasts 98 and 109 for the gory details. Anyone with a lick of common sense knows that equating a training program with the actual infliction of the torture on a captive is comparing apples and aardvarks. A recent report by the Senate Armed Services Committee put it well, quote, Sear school techniques are designed to simulate abusive tactics used by our enemies. There are fundamental differences between a Sear school exercise and a real-world interrogation. At Sear school, students are subject to an extensive medical and psychological pre-screening prior to being subjected to physical and psychological pressures. The schools impose strict limits on the frequency, duration, and or intensity of certain techniques. 
psychologists are present throughout SEER training to intervene should the need arise and to help students cope with associated stress. And SEER school is voluntary. Students are even given a special phrase they can use to immediately stop the techniques. Close quote. Even a Bush Justice Department memo admits these differences. It's amazing, isn't it? Decent people are appalled that we're using Russian and Chinese torture methods. Right-wingers twist things around and say, since we gave a taste of these torture methods to our troops, obviously we can use them for real on our prisoners. How about this bonus postscript, which is just too delicious to pass up? Our friend Sean Hannity, challenged by a guest, had said he'd submit to waterboarding in return for a contribution to a charity helping our troops. Keith Olbermann offered him a $1,000 charitable contribution for every second Hannity could last. All of a sudden, Hannity, chicken hawk extraordinaire, even about this, fell deathly silent. Then, right-wing talk show host Eric Mankow-Mueller stepped up to the plate. He volunteered to take Olbermann up on his offer. Deal. Mankow allowed himself to be waterboarded. The video is well worth watching. Mankow lasted about seven seconds before giving the signal to stop. Clearly shaken, he said he had thought it would be no big deal, but now has changed his mind and understands that waterboarding clearly is torture. Listen to some excerpts. We're going to get it nice and wet. He's dunking the, uh, the cloth in a bucket of water now. Yeah. Okay. Get ready to put it over your face, okay? Okay. There's the bucket of water in his hand. Right. The sergeant is over man cow's head. We're going to do it on five, okay? Okay. One, two, I lied. Hey. Ooh. Oh. Water going. Oh. All right, that's it. That's it. All right. Oh. Oh, God. How do you feel? You it's, want the EMT? No, no, no. The EMT's here. No, no, it's okay. It is. Mr. Brett. I'm fine. It is way worse than I thought it would be. And I, it is way worse than I thought it would be. Would and that's no joke. Would you consider that torture? Look, all that's been done to this country, and I heard about water being dropped on someone's face, and I never considered torture. Even when I was laying there, I thought, this is going to be no big deal. I go swimming. It's going to be like being in the tub. It is such an odd feeling to have water poured down your nose and your mouth with your head back. It was instantaneous. I, I thought I could hold out 30 seconds, 60 seconds. It was instantaneous. And, and uh, I don't want to say this. I do not want to say this. Absolutely torture. You do Absolutely. Torture. I mean, that's drowning. Yeah, it was you, look, you look shaken. You look shaken. You, you, your hands are shaking a bit. Uh, I can see your hands shaking and your, and your eyes. Uh, you, uh, you look pale. I thought I could hold out. And it was instantaneous and horrific. And I really, uh, look, I wouldn't have done this. No way in hell, had I known that it was that bad, I would not have done that. Olbermann is donating the money as promised. Hannity, it's your turn now. And you, Ann Coulter, you can go next. In a moment, how'd you like to disassemble some assumptions of right-wing economic philosophy? Stick around.
Your sources for this segment are the New York Times, RasmussenReports.com, and PewResearch.org. I recently read a bunch of really great letters to the editor in the New York Times. They point out how ridiculous right-wing economic philosophy can be. I'm going to share with you excerpts from a couple. This way, you'll be keyed up to respond to these type of arguments the next time a right-winger throws them at you. The letters are responding to an op-ed written by former Republican Senator Bob Packwood. The first one, quote, To the editor, Bob Packwood's article states, If we spend like the Nordic countries, we could provide government-paid maternity leave, subsidize college tuition, and offer a health plan that was close to free for all Americans. But this would leave significantly less money for taxpayers to spend as they want. This perspective ignores the fact that most Americans do want health care, maternity leave, and college tuition, and directly or indirectly spend plenty of money on these goods and services. Close quote. This is the, you know best how to spend your own money, line of right-wing propaganda. The right makes it sound like, if the government provides services that people need, that's bad, because then they can't use the tax money they paid for those services to... Go buy a flat-screen TV to spend as they want. Wrong. They'd have to pay for those necessities anyway, other than through their taxes. The real question is, can these necessities of life, like maternity leave, college tuition, and health care, be provided for less net-net out-of-pocket costs to Americans and, more equitably, via a 100% private industry scheme or out of a partially or totally government-paid-for effort. Next letter, which makes a related point, quote, Former Senator Bob Packwood is correct that more government spending ultimately requires more taxes, and more taxes leave less money for taxpayers to spend as they want. However, he completely ignores the other half of the equation. Most government spending gives people more money to spend as they want. Every dollar in a Social Security check is a dollar that the retired worker can spend. Every payment of a doctor's bill by Medicare or Medicaid reduces what the patient is otherwise obligated to pay, leaving him or her with another dollar to spend on other things. Every dollar spent for a paycheck for a government worker is a dollar that worker can spend." Close quote. Another fact the right ignores. If the government in a single-payer system provides your health care, you don't have to pay insurance premiums, deductibles, or co-pays. The right often leaves out this side of the equation. Here's another valid point from another letter writer. Quote, Instead of asking how much we want to tax, Bob Packwood asks how much we want to spend. But the truly substantive question is, what do we want government to do? Do we want policemen and firefighters and National Guardsmen, and do we want them properly trained and equipped? We've seen the alternatives, the incompetent response to Katrina, sending our children to Iraq without armor. Do we want national health care? We've seen the alternatives, rising costs, closing hospitals, nursing shortages, thousands of unnecessary deaths. Do we want Social Security? We've seen the alternative. Before Social Security, the elderly were the poorest people in America. And we've also seen what can happen to privatized retirement accounts. How much to tax and how much to spend is just the math. The hard part is quality of life and which and how many of us get to enjoy it. Close quote. We all know the right likes to obfuscate this question. Only the brutally honest right-wingers like Rush Limbaugh and Ronald Reagan 
openly declare what all the right truly believes, that they don't want the government to do much of anything. I've always felt the nine most terrifying words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Roosevelt is dead. His policies may live on, but we're in the process of doing something about that as well. Many people who now call themselves conservative don't understand this underlying right-wing goal. You need to clue them in on it. Many will be horrified. Finally, quote, While it is true that President Obama is on a course to spend even more than his predecessor, he has chosen to spend the money to increase wealth. Instead of bombing infrastructure, we are building it, and national health care will not only create a healthier, more productive population, but will also enable employee mobility that further enhances economic productivity. Yes, we may be spending more, but it is also the case that we are spending more wisely. In the end, that means we will have more wealth, not less. Close quote. Unfortunately, Obama is, even as he spends money here at home, actually continuing to bomb infrastructure abroad. But the larger point remains. Government spending on infrastructure and the health and education of the population ultimately creates far more wealth than the money spent. It's an investment with a great return. That's the progressive way of looking at it. Is there any doubt that when progressive economics mostly held sway from the New Deal until 1980, the majority of Americans did better economically than from Reagan until now? It's been shown that under democratic administrations, the economy has greater growth and the benefits of that growth are distributed more equitably throughout the population than when the right wing holds the reins of power. Be heartened, because apparently the American people, or at least a large hunk of them, are no longer enamored of right wing, government is evil philosophy. In a recent poll by Rasmussen, who if anything tends to lean right, only 53% of adults in our country said they believe capitalism is better than socialism. 20% said socialism is better, and 27% weren't sure. So that means almost half of Americans, 47%, have soured on or are beginning to have questions about capitalism. For those under 30, a whopping 63% support socialism or say they're unsure. As you'd expect, there's a big partisan Republican-Democratic gap on the issue. Now, the poll didn't define capitalism or socialism. If it had been clear that by capitalism they meant unbridled, laissez-faire, unregulated, Enron, subprime, global crisis-producing capitalism, and that by socialism was meant European-style social democracy, like in the Scandinavian countries and to a lesser degree perhaps in France, etc., I'm sure the pro-socialism numbers would be even higher. Remember my podcast series Reason to Cheer, how the country is becoming increasingly progressive on the issues, and the youth especially so? These New York Times letters and this Rasmussen poll are some more evidence of this wonderful phenomenon. May it continue to blossom and mightily grow. Up next, updates on a company formerly run by one of your favorite guys, Dick Cheney. And an example of amazing right-wing hypocrisy. Stay tuned.
the right, the right, last, last, the right, the right. Your one-minute voting report iTunes has been really shaking up its news and politics feature page, so we really need those five-star reviews and ratings to keep coming in. I want to keep the Blast the Right brand of progressive advocacy available to everyone looking for a podcast on iTunes. If you don't have the time to write a review, you can just click a five-star rating. You only have to do it once, it stays up there permanently, countering all the right-wing one-star sabotage reviews. Over at Podcast Alley, Last time I looked, we had slid down to number 9 on their national top 10. A couple of new shows have roared up the chart. So, if you can go to podcastalley.com as well and take 10 seconds to vote for Blast the Right before the end of the month, that would be great. Thanks. In this last segment, you'll hear about two subjects unconnected, other than both being examples of the right wing being wrong, which I guess is what links together everything on Blast the Right, isn't it? Your sources here include the New York Times, the Washington Post, Reuters, MediaMatters.org, and MSNBC.com. You may recall that in Podcast 148, I told you about how the multinational KBR had done such faulty electrical work in Iraq that U.S. soldiers were being electrocuted. Well, this former part of Dick Cheney's old company, Halliburton, is apparently no good through and through, like all right-wing entities. Here are just a couple of items that have come to light since that podcast. Two years ago, KBR officials admitted to bribery and conspiracy that led to at least $100 million in overcharges to the U.S. government. Yet, now we find out that the Pentagon has yet to collect repayment from KBR. The Bush Pentagon failing to go after a former Dick Cheney company? What a surprise! The Obama administration better get on the case here. And that $100 million is actually chump change compared to this. The Pentagon's top auditor just said, maybe they are getting on the case now, the top Pentagon auditor just said that KBR is connected to a majority of the $13 billion in Iraq and Afghanistan costs that are currently questioned or unsupported. $13 billion! Talking about unsupported payments, next, get a load of this. Despite KBR's shoddy electrical work in Iraq causing soldiers to be electrocuted, Democratic Senator Byron Dorgan revealed that KBR was actually paid over $83 million in bonuses for its Iraq electrical work. And yes, much of it was paid after the faulty nature of KBR's electrical work came to light. The Obama Department of Defense wrote to Dorgan and said no new bonuses will be paid until all the investigations into KBR's electrical work are complete. Moving from KBR's looting the treasury to that faulty electrical work itself, in Podcast 148 I told you that one-third of the 90,000 structures being inspected had faulty wiring. Well, it's much worse than that. Jim Childs, a master electrician heading the Pentagon's investigation, just testified that 90% of the wiring KBR did was bad and those structures not safe. So it's 70,000 danger zones KBR has created. Could Al-Qaeda ask for more? You may be wondering, 
What does KBR have to say for itself? William P. Ott is the chairman of KBR. He gave an interview to the Associated Press. Listen to what he said, bottom line. Quote, We don't think the wiring that we installed was potentially dangerous. Again, we don't think the wiring that we installed was potentially dangerous. Like much right-wing verbiage, Mr. Utt's denial insults your intelligence. There have been as many as 18 electrocutions and hundreds of shocks and fires in facilities or with equipment wired by KBR. How could he possibly have the temerity to make such a statement? The details of his argument are even more ludicrous. He claimed that KBR's wiring didn't have to meet U.S. electrical code standards, but only the British electrical code. Oh, I guess shower electrocutions are the norm in Britain. And why is this guy even talking about codes? It turns out that KBR's hiring practices were so bad, codes were irrelevant. Quote, most wirers were not experienced in the British code, and many were third-party nationals with no electrical training at all. Close quote. Do you share my view that criminal prosecutions are warranted here? Mr. Utt would care to disagree. He had the sheer audacity to say KBR deserves protection from lawsuits over its electrical work. War profiteering is bad enough if it's an honest, albeit high, profit that's involved. It's obscene when it's the result of fraud, and even more so when cutting of costs results in shoddy work that injures and kills U.S. soldiers. Remember what FDR said about no war millionaires from World War II. I cannot prophesy the immediate economic effect of this new war on our nation. But I do say that no American has the moral right to profiteer at the expense either of his fellow citizens or of the men, the women, and the children who are living and dying in the midst of war in Europe. Another time, Roosevelt proclaimed, quote, I don't want to see a single war millionaire created in the United States as a result of this world disaster. Close quote. For more on that, see Podcast 30. President Obama, where are you on this overall issue of war profiteering? Okay, let's close today with a quickie, but a good one. A right-wing talking point you're sure to hear more about as the healthcare debate heats up in the coming weeks. There's an obscure legislative procedure known as reconciliation that doesn't allow filibusters, so only 51 votes would be needed to pass a bill. The Democrats are considering using the reconciliation procedure to pass Obama's health care reform plan in the event they can't come up with 60 votes to defeat a Republican filibuster. Well, the right wing is truly shocked, shocked at this prospect. Quote, if Democrats used a fast-track procedure, it would be tantamount to a declaration of war, said Senator Michael Bienzi of Wyoming, the senior Republican on the Health Committee. Close quote. Republican Senator Judd Gregg told Politico magazine, quote, I can understand shaking Hugo Chavez's hand, but I can't understand embracing his politics, cutting down the minority. Close quote. Oh, the hypocrisy. 
which you should be most quick to point out to your friendly local right-wingers. In 2005, Senator Judd Gregg supported using this very reconciliation process to pass a bill permitting oil drilling in Anwar. In fact, Gregg and other Republicans have repeatedly used the reconciliation process to push through legislation over Democratic opposition. Quote, the fast-track procedures have been used 19 times since 1980 to pass major legislation, including much of President Ronald Reagan's domestic policy agenda in 1981, welfare overhaul in 1996, and President George W. Bush's tax cuts in 2001 and 2003. Close quote. Of course, the mainstream media usually ignores the Republican hypocrisy of condemning the Democrats for doing exactly what the Republicans themselves do. That's your and my job to fill in what the mainstream media leave out. Have at it. Well, that'll about wrap it up for today. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend about Blast the Right. Vote for Blast the Right at Podcast Alley. And, of course, write a five-star review or click on a five-star rating for Blast the Right in the iTunes Music Store. Many thanks for help with this week's show to Ellen from Kansas City, Joe from Indiana, and David from ThatBlueJeansGuy.com, a podcast. I want to thank you all for the many invitations you've sent to all the social networking sites. There are just too many for me to join them all. I'm already on LinkedIn. I'll be joining Facebook. Other than that... I'm going to hold off for now. One other aside, if you're an audiophile with deep knowledge of high-end audio, drop me a line. I may have a question or two I want to ask you. And now a word from another progressive podcaster. These people are all libs. Every day he tells dozens of them. I don't know any more than what I'm telling you, other than I lie. Oh, so that's it. Every day I'm going to expose one. I just flat out freaking lie. You bloated idiot! The Rush Limbaugh Live of the Day with your host, Joseph Lyles. Five days a week at cgradio.net. You can't handle the truth! Music credits. The break music was One Big Union by Matthew Grimm and the Red Smear. The Schnee Speaks by KG House, combined with the alternate Blast the Right theme by Nye's Music, and Not the One Blues by Burnsheet Thornside. We'll close with a little bit of Taking My Country Back by Honky Tonkers for Truth. Links to all the music I play on Blast the Right can be found on my music resources page. Links to all the statistics and quotations I use can be found on the data resources page. I'm also now posting transcripts of each show. All those are linked to off the main podcast homepage. You get to the main podcast homepage by typing in Blast the Right in Google, and I'm the first result. And thanks to Tom Hartman, radio talk show host extraordinaire, for the Rush Limbaugh and Ronald Reagan audio clips. I love getting your email. Keep it coming. I do still owe a bunch of you responses, and said responses will be forthcoming in due course. At least that's the plan. You can also call in and leave a comment for me to play on Blast the Right. Just dial 310-933-5891 and leave your message. Another way to leave a message is on Skype. My Skype name is Jack from Blast the Right. So, until next time, I'll sign off and say I love you all, including all you right-wing misguided souls. Now you don't know my name, but you
watching me.